This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 16th of August 2016, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data. My name is Jon, and here's my co-host Dave. Hi, Dave. Hello, Jon. How are you today? I am excellent, thank you. And how have you been the last couple of weeks? And don't say been on holiday for the last couple of weeks as well, because then I really no, get jealous. No, I've been back at work. I mean, <laughs> yay, I've been back at work. Um, yes, I have been working. Um, lots, lots going on, actually. You, you kind of think um, that during the summer period, things quieten down. And, and sometimes that's the case, but then sometimes... During the summertime, there's a whole bunch of random stuff that just pops up and, you know, lots of exciting things happen. So and that's been the case this time. So been working with a, a new team within Hortonworks uh, that's based in sunny, sunny Cork, a lovely city, and uh, getting them up to speed, running a bunch of enablement sessions and just generally spending time with them, imparting uh, what little knowledge I have around <laughs> this whole area. Uh, so that's been good. And that's been spread over the last couple of weeks, really. Um, other things going on, a uh, big workshop with a uh, combination of a global SI and a European telco. Um, you know, they're going through, this is an ongoing one that you'll have heard me mention a couple of times uh, over the podcast. Uh, this um, opportunity is, is continuing to progress and uh, getting to the, the final phases of really starting to get the project up and running, really. Um, so that's looking quite good, quite interesting. Um, and, you know, they, they've got a very concrete set of use cases now around a specific engagement they want to do, which is always much better than a sort of a woolly project that, uh, you know, where we just want to do big data. Yes, but what does that mean to you? Anyway, um, a another workshop with a customer who's been doing um, Hadoop for a very long time. Uh, actually, uh, since Hadoop 0.2, I went and had a little poke around at what that means. Yeah, so 0.2, like no yarn, like it's it's just it's pretty much just HDFS and MapReduce. Good um, old days. Yeah, well, I don't know. How I'd say that, <laughs> but uh, they've uh, you know they've got a uh, fairly sizable you know 90 node cluster. Um, it is primarily used for, as you'd expect, you know archive. And uh, and kind of batch processing, uh, and they're looking to uh, step into a brave new world. So I've been uh, spending some time blowing their minds and uh, educating them about all the new exciting things that Hadoop can do. And uh, it, it's really interesting talking to a customer who has as as yeah has been involved in big data and doing Hadoop things. They've got you know over a petabyte of of data, um, but. You know their view of Hadoop is is you know very much uh, you know not, not I wouldn't necessarily say tainted but it's very much of the age of the Hadoop that they've got. So educating them about you know what we can do with uh, real time streaming now, interactive workloads, um, how you can do you know workload proper workload separation using Yarn and capacity scheduler and all these kind of cool things that they they're really excited about it. And uh, I think you know they're. I think they're going to have a great, a great deal of fun as they uh, step into this new age of Hadoop. So, should be a, an interesting project there. Now, yeah, well, interesting to know what was their reason to now look at the future. I mean, they've been happy with the old stuff, quote unquote. So, why now change? What was their? So, I think there's a there's a couple of things. I think one one thing is honestly uh, a lot of their hardware is getting very very old, and so there's a there's a hardware. 
uh, replatforming question, um, which, you know, technically, yes, you could shuffle new hardware into that and just do same old, same old, but um, they actually, they have a desire to do more, um, more interactive work. They, they want to, uh, um, they want to use Spark. They want to do machine learning over there, uh, over this you know, broad swathe of data that they've got. They're actually, um, obviously, for, for obvious reasons, can't mention the customer's name, but they're actually doing uh, large chunks of uh, web archive work, uh, and so they have significant chunks of uh, of the internet on HDFS, and they provide that to various researchers for uh, for analysis. And so it's it's just you know they. They realise that uh, the things they've been doing with MapReduce have served them reasonably well up until this point, but they've got a very rich set of data, and there are so many more interesting things that they could be doing. So it's just that that whole news case, new use case um, excitement, uh, coupled with the fact that you know they need to do a hardware refresh anyway. So replatforming, um, do a migration, and uh, do new exciting things with it. The new hardware is staying with on-premise uh, servers. <clears throat> they are indeed, yeah. Um, they have a they have some some security reasons, should we say, for wanting to to continue to stay on-prem uh, that they consider are not ready for cloud. Also, they're at, they're at a certain scale that they're comfortable running on-prem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, they've they don't have anything else in the cloud. They you know just makes makes sense for them. So. Yeah, exciting stuff. Um, and then last thing, uh, which was yesterday, was a uh, workshop with um, a public sector customer who's looking to do some fairly interesting things in the world of fraud analytics. Um, and, uh, you know, a big uh, multi-vendor uh, workshop. And it was one of those things where, I mean, you, you everybody that's, involved in this kind of area has had meetings where you 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 have this chunk of time blocked out and you think uh are we going to actually achieve anything and you know there's so many people are going to be there Uh, you know maybe it's something where you've been having conversations on and off for a reasonable period of time but this was one of those meetings where like everybody was there to reach the goal, which was to come up with a fully agreed architecture standard and, you know, a whole bunch of actions that everybody could agree upon. And it, it went, for the most part, really, really smoothly. A couple of compromises here and there, but that's what, uh, that's what this is all about. So really productive meeting. And uh, I think that's another one that will be quite an interesting, interesting project with, you know, potentially savings in the billions so it's it's uh it's a it's a big deal for them and uh yeah interesting stuff so that was my my couple of weeks how about you i've been a lot less hectic than you i would say i'm still in the summer months so things are still a bit easy and uh, quiet oh, things are always chilled and relaxed in the netherlands Oh, uh, yes, and very rainy, by the way. You, really? Kind of jealous for your cork, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> not that bad, because a uh, family member who lives in Sweden actually said it hailed yesterday, so. <laughs> oh. So, to anyway. anyone listening in Sweden, uh, we're so sorry. It's lovely and sunny here in the UK. Well, nope. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, still going on with the studying. I've uh, been talking about EDX courses, so those are, these are still continuing. A couple have finished by now, so that's just in full swing. 
apart from that, I actually got my first Microsoft certification. As a of Microsoft, you're supposed to have a certification every year, so kind of went for that. It was my first non-open source certification, so it was a bit of a question mark what's going to be like. It's going to be difficult, less difficult, whatever, and well, it was okay. <clears throat> One say it was very difficult to get it. Just prepare <laughs> well, well, goes well. Most important thing, or the most interesting I did, is getting into object recognition and detection in images. For a customer of mine, um, he's in that kind of sphere, and I've been trying to figure out how you actually do that. And in the first place, the, the easy thing is just face recognition, for example. Mm-hmm. To have a picture of somebody and recognize a person. But that's easy. That just means you know you're looking for an image for a face, so you just... Train your model for a face recognition and see if you recognize a face. So when you say when you say face recognition, do you mean just spotting faces in pictures, or do you mean face recognition as in that face belongs to this particular person? Both, but first step first, and then the second step. You need to find okay. the face first, and then the next step is the analytics on top of it. You can do something with the face you found, but yep. just the first part of that is recognizing what is a face in an image. Does an image contain a face or not? If you're looking at uh, little photos of people's faces, then that's easy. If you're looking at a, I don't know, a scenery picture with some people in there, getting the faces out there, that's a little harder. But yeah. still, you know you're looking for faces. Now, the thing here is that we're trying to find a way of just finding anything in every photo. So having a picture and getting a list out of that, uh, this photo contains, uh, I don't know, a, a glass of juice and a computer and a monitor and without oh, okay. knowing much looking beforehand. So... I was kind of hoping that my machine learning would get me all the way, but nope. <laughs> For the face recognition example, that's machine learning. That's a simple factor. That that's easy enough. Well, easy. That's feasible enough. But in this case, I've, rec- I've discovered I need to go deeper into neural networks and stuff. So that's opening up a whole new world for me now, and I'm putting a lot of time in uh, getting familiar with that. So you will be able to. I'll be able to show you a picture, and you'll be say able to say glass of fruit juice, microphone. Well, I can already do that, but the idea is that my computer will be able to do that at that point, and not for one picture, but for a couple of hundred million pictures that's, uh, in one go. The whole idea wow. of the whole machine learning is always taking the human as an equation. Why? Because not because a human is stupid, but because a human is very slow yeah, and expensive. True. So well, it's, it's a fun area of, uh, thing, area of uh, knowledge which I hadn't really dug in too deeply yet, so it's, uh, it's keeping me busy. All right, good and stuff. That's all I want to talk about, really. <laughs> all right, so in that case, we will end this section, and uh, we have some new stuff. Tell tell the audience about the new stuff, y'all. Nah, I'm going to wait till after the music, keep everybody curious. Oh, <laughs> you're such a tease, such a tease. Oh, so yeah. We'll be back after the music. Welcome back. As they've alluded to before the music, we are shaking up the format of the podcast a little bit, trying something new. That's what you do when you want to stay young, right? And what we were talking, we were thinking of doing was having a kind of a news section. No, not really news as in this is the news, but more of things that caught our eyes, which aren't exactly related to what we do in the last couple of weeks, but still we had a look at things that come up, pop up, interesting things, and see if we can share that with our listeners. So, 
this is our first time we're doing this. We have no idea how it's going to turn out. Let's just start it. And Dave, why don't you go first with what's something new and exciting you found out about this last couple of weeks? Okay. So the first thing that uh, that I'm going to share is um, a blog I found on the or came across on the Teradata website, as it happened, that was uh, about all about streaming analytics. A story. In fact, the title is "Streaming Analytics: A Story of Many Tales," and uh, I thought this was kind of interesting because what they managed to do was uh, come up with a diagram that actually showed. Most, not all, but most of the uh, streaming analytics engines, all on all on one diagram, all on one page, uh, including things like uh, NiFi that uh, anyone listening knows that I love, Spark, Spark Streaming, Flink, something called Acker that I've never heard of before, and Acker Streams, um, Gear Pump, which I had heard of but didn't really know very much about. Uh, Samza, which I had heard of, um, Kafka and Kafka Streams, InfluxDB, which I'd never heard of, and uh, something else called Heron that apparently is not the thing that just eats all the fish out of your pond, uh, but is actually a uh, a project that is compatible in many ways with Storm, but also slightly different. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna put links to all of these in the uh, in the show notes. And the nice thing about this is that uh, it actually go, gives a quick um, overview of each of the sort of major engines. I say each of the major engines because actually they don't cover every single one on the diagram, which is a little bit of a shame, really, because you kind of think that if you've gone to all the effort to get this far. Would really make sense to uh, to actually finish that job off. Oh, but maybe there was nothing to say about the other ones. Uh, they didn't say anything about NiFi, which got me very upset. Um, oh, because we have the mantra. Um, can tell the listeners, I guess, that if you can't say something nice, don't say something at all. So <laughs> apparently, they really hate NiFi. Maybe, maybe <laughs> they do. But um, the, the nice thing is they break it down by um, the orchestrator. Like, is it yarn orchestrated? Is it standalone? Is it you know something that just runs in the cloud? Um, what paradigm is it? Is it batch or micro batch or event driven? Um, what language is it uh, is it in? Um, and the community, like how many GitHub forks have there been of it? And uh, when was the first commit uh, in GitHub? So it, it's I think it was actually quite interesting. It uh, brought me um, brought me to a few. Uh, streaming engines that I'd never even heard of before, and have have since had a little poke at, although not uh, not a great deal. But just yeah, just an interesting page. Recommend that if you're looking at streaming analytics and looking at a comparison of them, it's a piece of research as part of that. But uh, yeah, uh, what kind of level of audience are they looking at? Are they looking at architects, developers? I think they're looking. I think they're looking at architects, really, because they. It, it is. It is quite high level. I mean, okay. I understood it all, so it's <laughs> relatively high level. Yeah, um, that's saying a lot. Yeah. Uh, but, also, like, business uh, type people. It's too technical for that point. Yeah, okay. I mean, typically or technically, you could probably use all of these things to deliver a business outcome, um, but. Some of them are going to be more optimal than others, but yeah, it's not it's not really business driven. It's it's more more aimed at that kind of architect uh, side of things. Uh, final question: This was on a Teradata blog or website. Uh, is the Teradata veneer very thick on there, or is it just a nice read? 
Uh, actually, it was a relatively nice read. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they Teradata are uh, very pro Flink, um, and uh, and it was the first one that they talk about. But actually, they you know they they talk about most of them at roughly the same level of depth. Just leaving a few off, which I think was a little bit disappointing. But you know, can't hurt everything. Yeah, but it wasn't always in uh, in reference to their own products. Oh no, 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 no! It's it very much just a, an overview of the technologies, and just quite interesting. Well, it's good to hear that uh, major vendors out there are actually giving uh, articles like this without having the eye patches. I would say this in English, uh, being yeah, able to the blinkers, uh, yep, Blink, the tunnel blinkers, vision, just yeah, blinkers yeah, on. exactly. That's good. That's nice. Okay. All right, so. Uh, I, I guess over to you. What what news has caught your eye? Uh, well, the first thing I want to mention, it's a couple of weeks old because we only do this show every couple of weeks, so that's a possibility. But Apache Spark 2.0 was released. Yeah. Um, not entirely sure it's a full general availability release. I think it's a little bit of a preview, but uh, it's out there. You can download it. Uh, as far as I know, no vendor has it in their distributions just yet. Although Databricks has uh, upgraded their cloud solution to support uh, the 2.0 version. I think those are the first ones. And uh, well, Spark being uh, big as it is, everybody is uh, very excited. And already had customers asking, do you have 2.0 support? Well, <laughs> no, not yet. It needs to be stable before you actually... Uh, Stable, let's say it needs to be tested. Stable, yeah. <laughs> Not saying it isn't stable. It's just that nobody had had time to test it yet. <laughs> At the very least, like some basic integration would be nice. Basic integration testing. Just make sure everything is uh, as expected. Yeah. On uh, general thing, that's the biggest thing that they've been doing in this version of 2.0, making it all a bit more polished, having less of uh, fray around the edges, but more of a cohesive whole. Uh, like the first thing that I men- uh, I want to mention, and which actually makes me a bit sad, is that they're unifying data frames and data sets. Data sets being the typical RDDs that uh, olden year uh, year Spark was all about. And at this point, uh, the RDD is just part of a it, it, a data frame becomes a, a array of rows and a row is an RDD, if you like. So it's been uh, okay. abstracted, pushed into together, and the whole idea is that the API not just works with data frames, even if working with uh, RDDs, because RDDs is just a simplification of a data frame, if you like. Data frames have been deprecated. They're called like, in the maintenance mode, or at least in the ML lib subsection of the release notes. That's, uh, I'm actually going to read this. The data frame-based API is now the primary API. The RDD-based API is entering maintenance mode, which I read RDD is getting deprecated and yeah. probably going to be disappearing across the whole Spark uh, ecosystem. But this was specifically noted for ML lib, so maybe it's still not that far. But it does look like RDDs are going the way of the dodo. Which I'm kind of sad because RDD, I still, it's where I started Spark and it's what I like to work with. I understand, I can visualize it. And data frames are still so new, still hard to work with. So, well, for me personally, I'm not saying it's harder as an API at all. Uh, the anything, other thing, sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say anything. I mean, Spark has been evolving very, very rapidly. Um, and, you know, to come to a 2.0 release in such a such a short period of time is is impressive. Um there's been, you know, over its history, there's been a bit of, you know, API breakage here and there. Should should people expect many changes to their uh, their code moving from um, to depending on what you're doing? Yes, uh, as you, as we know, Spark is a very big ecosystem, not just the Spark itself, it's SQL streaming, graphics, whatever, but everything around it as well. And if you look at the uh, release notes, there are some things that are being removed. Uh, I was sad to see the bagel go away. I mean, I like bagels. 
didn't know what that, I, I didn't know what it was, but it's something for, uh, from Google, I think, or a, a port from something Google made. I, I just looked at the bagel was going away. But yeah, there are things uh, going away because typically when people go from a one dot something to a two dot something, it's a major release, and that usually means there is some uh, backwards compatibility issues in there. So definitely, people should be aware of that. Yeah, and that's also why this two dot at the beginning I said I don't think it's totally GA yet. And what I meant there is, you shouldn't just install and make it run. You should definitely look at this and see what the differences are. Yeah. Test it in your test it in your sandbox environments, people. Go and take a little play with it and and see uh, see what if anything breaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still waiting for uh, Hortonworks, I think, to have the uh, framework in place to have multiple versions of uh, Spark running side by side. I don't should think it's be, still possible. Should be here with uh, the uh, HTTP two point five release. Yeah, but do you have a date for that? <laughs> uh, you know I can't share dates. Oh, come coming on. soon. Coming soon to a data center near you. Anyway, having something like that in place uh, on any kind of uh, any kind of Hadoop distribution would be very useful in these kind of situations, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, and it's something else that changed in Spark is the SQL functionality in it actually becomes uh, SQL 2003 uh, level support. So they can now run, as I say, all TPC DS queries. I uh, haven't looked at their performance in there yet, but at least they have the full syntax availability now. So that's also a step forward, a big step forward, actually. If I look yeah, at Hive, yeah, it took huge. a lot longer to get that status with Hive. Yeah. So that's interesting as well. And the last thing I want to mention here is that their streaming API also is getting a big revamp, and it looks like the streaming is actually the big uh, showcase around the 2.0. And we're going to put links in the show notes, of course, and there's going to be a link in there to a blog for Databricks where they're actually talking about the streaming API in more detail. But it looks like it's becoming more streamlined and it's going to be easier to have a non-streaming uh, Spark script turn into a streaming Spark script. Basically, cool. without changing much of the syntax, just putting a dot .start at the end makes it a streaming job. I'm very much nice. simplifying it here, but that looks like uh, the, the way they're trying to go there. Cool. So, yeah, Spark 2.0 is out there. I uh, hope we see it in production soon, because, as you said, there have been some uh, less fun parts of the existing Spark ecosystem at the moment, and it looks like they've cleaned up a lot. Excellent stuff. you next. Okay, next up. So next up is uh, big data and law enforcement, a marriage made in, and then fill in the blank yourself. Um, in so jail, this is an article... Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Possibly not what they had in mind. Um, but this is an article from Data Science Central. And uh, this is actually an article about um, Taser. So the company that uh, you may you may know about from the uh, the, the 90s that uh, created these uh, zappy zappy guns that fired, um, you know, thin wires and little pegs into you and zapped you until you twitched like a cockroach on the ground. Um, Everybody has his hobby. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's just fun. Um, uh, anyway, so they, they started off in that uh, in that area, and but it's, you know, they've been a hardware manufacturer. Um, it's a saturation market. You know, they, they completely saturated the market. They won all the uh, orders, all the deals, and all that sort of thing. But then when everyone has tasers, yeah, sure, there are, consumables the the cartridges that fire the darts and you know batteries i suppose and other stuff like that but once they're all out there they're all out there so the next kind of big revolution was uh, body cameras um and uh, you know that has also reached the point where you know they've pretty much 
um, you know, monopolize that market. They're very successful in that area, but it's a similar sort of thing. Once, once every single police officer and or law enforcement officer has a, a body cam, that's a potentially a saturated market. So what they've actually been doing is they've been driving themselves more towards being a data driven company. You know, these things are capturing, uh, information continuously, exactly as you were talking uh, towards the start around facial recognition. You know, they're they're capturing data and they're pushing it up into the cloud. Uh, you'll be very happy. They actually happen to be a uh, a, a Microsoft Azure customer, um, and uh, so they're doing a lot of the uh, the analytics on the uh, video for uh, for law enforcement and for criminal prosecutions and. Uh, various other things. Um, there's some of the stats. Uh, they've got around about uh, 4.6 petabytes of video, um, which apparently is comparable to Netflix's entire streaming catalogue. <laughs> and just as interesting, probably. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I expect it's one of those things that, uh, you know, 99% boring, 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 1%, ah! Um, so, yes. Um, but they're they're expecting to present... Um, video evidence in somewhere to somewhere between twenty to twenty five percent of cases, so the, you know it's it's becoming more and more important um, to actually be able to identify things, to identify people, um, and to actually have you know this uh, this data to back up a lot of uh, what's going on. So um, they're they're moving towards um, the kinds of things you were talking about at the beginning. So streaming. Uh, real-time facial recognition. Um, you know, people may well be familiar with uh, ANPR systems, uh, automatic uh, automated number plate recognition. Um, and, uh, you know, you will see police cars in many countries with ANPR cameras on them. And they're, you know, they're continuously scanning for um, license plates and they're following them through various different databases and you know, checking for does this do, is the car stolen do they have valid insurance all that sort of thing well you can see that the very next generation of this uh, this kind of thinking is going to be you know police body cams you know officer walking down the street continuously you know record their body cam continuously recording and you know there's going to be scanning people's faces you know is this person a, a known criminal do they have any outstanding warrants uh, it's yeah. uh, even more than that today i know that uh, not just facial recognition is happening but also sentiment recognition so when the face is captured this computer absolutely. actually predicts if this is a happy person a sad person a and that way you can also deduce if he's doing kind of planning to do something nefarious or not yep Absolutely, and uh, it's it's a it's it's just one of these stories about uh, a company completely completely revolutionising what they do. You know, going from a traditional hardware company to becoming a data driven organisation, which is one of the things that we kind of we talk about and prophesize about on a fairly regular basis. But this is a, I think this is a really nice example uh, of of that in in uh, in action. I think it's a very big step for them to be able uh, to have gotten the uh, the uh, authorization, I guess, to store all that data themselves because the privacy issues are huge, of course. I mean, police body yeah. cams. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be- I would I would imagine that they have you know multiple different environments you know up set up for each individual. I don't know police authority or however that however that works. I, I wouldn't 
imagine that they have a single data lake for exactly the reasons that you mentioned. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, tenancy can be done, but but still, you know, there are certain concerns here. And especially with the size of the data set they have, it makes sense to split it yeah. off a bit, right? Yeah. They're probably also doing this for the official police, but also for security firms and stuff like that. Yeah. There's going to be some levels of uh, confidentiality in there, which actually, at the, when you talked about it the last couple of weeks, you talked about the guys uh, renewing their hardware on-premise because they didn't trust security. Yeah. Uh, these guys are doing it in the cloud, and I was going to... Come back yeah. at you when you told it then, but I'm going to do it now. One of the things we see at Microsoft, yeah, blame me, is that actually security is sometimes a reason for customers to go to the cloud. Because a lot of these companies like Taser, they're not in the data center business, so they don't really know how to secure a data center. And being able to offload all, all that burden to a third party that takes care of it that sometimes is a big uh, reason why people go to the cloud. It can actually, yeah. and it's also something that's going to tie into our subject in the, in the next section, actually. <laughs> it's something that can make your job easier by not having to do everything yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's what, uh, that's what, you know, essentially outsourcing the, the, the core of that operation side mm-hmm. of things, you know, that that's yeah. one of the yeah. major benefits. Yeah. Just taking the value out of whatever they're doing and all the rest of the the crafts around it. Well, let somebody else do that for me. That's yep. how everybody works in his own in his own life, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do the things that are important to you, yeah. and uh, outsource the rest. Yeah, everybody goes to the restaurants now. Nobody cooks themselves anymore. Mm, don't know. That I agree with that. But <laughs> Give anyway. <it> ten years. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on. Okay, next one must be yours then. Uh, well, there's only two of us, so good, good, good. You're really keeping on top of these things. I am. See, lightning quick reflexes. <laughs> okay, next one for me is, again, a point release. Uh, Apache Mesos actually released their 1.0 in the last couple of weeks. And I'm not going to talk too much in depth about it. Uh, there's going to be some links in the show notes. But the reason that I put it in there is because very recently I actually became aware of Mesos in a big data sphere. I mean, I've known about Mesos and the Docker and the whole thing around it, but it was always something to the side that Docker container stuff. Yeah, that's happening as well. But recently I just saw one of our customers using Spark on Mesos with okay. DCOS in between and Marathon and the whole thing. And uh, yeah, sometimes you have these blinkers on and you just look at the Hadoop thing and don't look any further. But just seeing that in action, they were doing a full ETL load with the machine learning and everything in there in Mesos in uh, Docker. It's a whole different way of looking at it, doing the same thing, because in the end, they were still doing the same thing all big data people are doing, getting the value out of the data, yeah. basically. But they had a very easy way of uh, uh, managing the whole workload. They had a kind of a uh, service fabric going on with little pieces of intelligence running side by side, all being scheduled by the Mesos stuff. So uh, the whole container thing, the Docker thing, I've never been truly convinced that it was a, the really the big life change everybody presumes it's to be. But it isn't going away, and it's getting better all the time, and the tooling around it, like Mesos and uh, Kubernetes and all the rest of them, it keeps evolving, and I think in the future I'm going to meet these guys more and more in my day-to-day business, and it's something we should take note of. 
And uh, that's why I'm just going to put two links about uh, uh, Mesos in there. One's going to be a link to the Apache uh, mailing list announcing the 1.0 release. Mm-hmm. And the other one's actually a uh, blog from Netflix who are using Mesos. They're not using the 1.0 yet, at least they're not saying they're using the 1.0. But they are telling uh, the world about what they're doing at Mesos and different kind of uh, uh, projects they're running there. And I thought it was a good high-level article. To just give me a picture of, okay, this Mesos thing, oh, it can do all of these things. That's interesting. Let's dig deeper. So I wanted to share that with our listeners. Interesting stuff. Okay. I will definitely take a look at that. Well, back to you. All right. So I've got two more, and they're, 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 I guess vaguely big data related, uh, but they're, they're one everything of is vaguely big data related. This is, this is true. So one of them is vaguely big data related. The other one is more big data related. But this this first one, I just thought uh, I read it and I just thought it was just it was too fun not to share. Um, so the White House, yes, that White House uh, recently requested input on artificial intelligence, um, and uh, and just like explain the entire field of artificial intelligence. So they put out an RFI uh, asking about all information about artificial intelligence and the possibilities and the risks of AI. And and you might think that actually it, this is just too, you know, too large a field. Um, you know, how could you possibly try and explain, you know, everything about AI, all of the possibilities and all of the risks um, so it turns out the answer is just go and ask IBM Research, and uh, they'll come up with a really good uh, document that just summarizes everything about uh, AI. Um, so if you have an interest in in AI, um, the links in the in the notes. It's I mean the I, I read a, I read the actual document itself. I also read a, an article uh, talking about it, and you know they basically call it AI 101. You know your introduction to AI, anything and everything you'd ever want to know about AI. Uh, so AI being artificial intelligence. Yeah, they didn't, for, but but were afraid to ask at the end. Uh, no, they didn't, oh. and and I also didn't see any mention of Skynet either. So it wasn't <laughs> complete. But it was fairly, fairly complete. You know, you know, ninety-five percent. You can't, uh, you can't quiz them too much. But yeah, good, good job, IBM. Yeah. Um, but this was requisitioned by the White House. So, what kind of level would you say this was directed at? At the business uh, leader or at the architect yeah. again? Yeah, yeah, no, it's very much at the at the at the business the vision uh, level. Vision level. Yeah, it's all a, it's all you know, very, very high level. But it just covers. Um, so everything from uh, you know, data sets that can accelerate AI research, um, okay. um, the role of incentives and prizes to AI, um, AI progression, uh, safety and control issues for AI, uh, legal and governance uh, implications of AI, um, business models that you know may change due, due to AI and that sort of thing, um, and uh, it, it, yeah, I just. I really, I really, I thought it was a really, really interesting read, and you know, with sort of the, uh, um, you know, that's that's largely where people hope that uh, machine learning will eventually sort of uh, be able to head. I think it's uh, an interesting uh, section of research. Well, be careful for the AIs if you listen to the guys of uh, Mr. Hawking and uh, Elon Musk. Oh, yeah. AI isn't all we should want, perhaps. No, that's right. And it'll be the data that drives them that uh, eventually causes them to revolt and Skynet to happen. So it's basically your fault. Uh, possibly. Well, uh, no, you see, I'm informing the audience. 
so, so you're a whistleblower. <laughs> fully aware of the risks of AI, and uh, we can together we can stop Skynet before it happens. Uh, so yeah, AI. it is a bit. It is a bit interesting though that the White House is asking IBM to do this because uh, I have no doubt IBM's uh, AI guys are on on the top of the game. No, no, no issue with that. But usually these big uh, companies do all this research for these three-letter acronym agencies out there that have all the money that the taxpayers uh, pay. So I would imagine that a lot of the things that they're talking about actually find their origin in CIA, FBI, whatever, NSA, whatever the acronyms are today. The things were developed over there with their money, with their DARPA projects and whatever. Yeah. So it's kind of funny I, that the White House can't ask internal, but has to go external. I, well, you see, it's, they actually put a public um, RFI request, and I'll even link to the Federal Register where you can see their request. Um, uh, it, it's you know they've, they've got a it's a two page RFI. These are all the things that we want to know about. And uh, what is kind of interesting is uh, you know will we be seeing other you know, responses to this uh, uh-huh. coming out in the public domain. Yeah. You know, will, you know, has the FBI and the CIA and, and the NSA and various other, uh, you know, NASA and whoever, well, who, God knows who else, you know, have they also responded? Are we going to see, you know, uh, uh, a huge sort of uh, deluge of interesting uh, articles about uh, this is everything you need to know about AI? I don't know. I, it, it'll be interesting to watch the, uh, w- watch the skies and see what else pops out. Now, since it's an RFI, did it also indicate what their end goal is? Because this is a request for information, so gather all the information in order to do. I think it's. I think it's clearly in order to stop Skynet. That's <laughs> the, the only reason that why you hmm. would uh, why you would actually uh, make this request. Well, uh, and so you know, I'm, I'm glad the uh, I'm glad the Americans are looking out for us. Well, so. Next year is an election year over there, so maybe. Let's not go there. Well, yeah, let's go let's, there. <laughs> let's let's leave the politics at the door. Yeah, um, technology okay. is much more interesting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, um, and uh, so you've run out of articles, no, and I've got one more. I've got another a, one. Okay, I got three. Okay. I did my homework. Well, over to you then, Jan. <laughs> yeah, it's a very short one though, because I actually don't <laughs> know what I'm talking about here. It's just this morning I found a little article talking about Apache Twill becoming a top-level project at uh, Apache. And apparently it's an abstraction layer on top of yarn, which yeah, I need to read the article. I haven't read it yet, but it's something I really piqued my interest here because the only way you could actually work with yarn today is programming for yarn, which was actually quite hard. The, reading the book alone takes a couple of months, for me yep. at least. Uh, you had Slider, but Slider really didn't take off in the way that they expected. And I have no idea if there's still any development going on around Slider. Basically, I haven't heard about it in the last 12 months. And now suddenly Apache Tulk pops up as an abstraction layer on Yarn. So I'm going to put the links in the show notes. I'm going to read it myself. <laughs> it does look interesting. Yeah. And there's a, it looks like there's a couple of uh, presentations available from uh, ApacheCon and uh, Big Data North America. So, Yeah, they've been working in silence, apparently. I, had, I mean, I've considered myself to be quite close to, the, to the, the core of the thing, at least in the last couple of years anyway, but uh, totally escaped my, uh, my radar there. So, yeah. And they do have a nice little logo. So, Yeah, some kind of strange dinosaur-looking thing. I thought crocodile, but... <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'm going. I'm going with dinosaur, but okay. yeah, maybe. Let's, let's Google Twill. It must have something in there. 
clicky clicky. Uh, it's a weave. No, all I'm finding is fabric. So, oh, and that's it for me. So you can go for your last one. All right. So the last one um, we've mentioned uh, a couple of uh, course sources before Coursera and EDX and at various parts of our podcast. And I just came across uh, an article that was uh, ten online big data courses and where to find them in 2016 and it's uh, it's just a you know a nice selection it does include coursera it does include uh, edx but there's a couple of others that um that i i hadn't been uh, familiar with um like some of them are paid but mo- the majority of them are free um and uh, there's only one vendor actually listed in there as well. So uh, all the major big data vendors have um, various types of training available and various types of online courses uh, that you can usually look at. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just thought it was a nice summary of um, the various different places that you can go and look at um, at uh, big data training and uh, see what might be interesting to you. Yeah, don't forget a lot of the big vendors are actually using Coursera and EDX to put their courses on there. Just uh, True. going with the platforms there. Yeah. Uh, is it very specific in the area of big data? Is it all MapReduce or is it all Spark or is it really across the board? No, it's a real it's a real variety of stuff. Um, yeah, all across all across the ecosystem. So there's, I would imagine, pre- you know, practically anything you're interested in, you'll be able to find a course uh, somewhere amongst one of these that'll cover what you need. Even the the, the little small thingies like, uh, I mean, Zookeeper, for example, it's an integral part of any Hadoop cluster. And there's basically very little tutorials out there. There's a lot of blogs and uh, things on Stack Overflow and stuff. There's a lot of find there. But we're yeah. talking about really education-grade video sessions, whatever. And on things like those little supporting uh, kernels around the big yeah. things, those are very hard to find. I think. Actually, I think that's a common uh, that's a common um, concern. Is that the there's there's plenty of training on what I would call the application tier of big yeah. data. Um, you know, when you're looking, you know, as you say, if you're looking to understand something about Spark, there's a whole bunch of Spark courses on there uh, out there. If you're looking to understand more about the underlying infrastructure pieces, which is what I consider Zookeeper to be, it's mm-hmm. part of the underlying infrastructure of a of a big data platform. Often, um, you're right. It, it's it's a lot more difficult to find mm-hmm. concrete training on that. I don't know. I haven't searched for Zookeeper. I wouldn't. Oh, it's just an example, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and actually, it's a good example because uh, there are certain parts of Zookeeper that I do find slightly confusing uh, and have to look up each and every time yeah. that I come to them. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily expect to, to find those there. But I might have a little trawl and and see what I can find. But uh, yeah, it's uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, and so okay. links in the show notes as per usual. Yeah, so that's the end of this first attempt at this new little section. Uh, listeners, please let us know if you like this or not. If we should stop doing this or not, <laughs> I think please, I liked it. Please, so. please, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I liked it. Maybe we should may merge it together with the first section, make it one big section. I don't know. Let's see what the reactions are. Indeed, let us know. Uh, let us know if you like it. Let us know if you hate it. Let us know if you're completely apathetic about it. Uh, um, although I guess if you're completely wouldn't. apathetic about it, <laughs> you might not let us know. But you yeah. know. Maybe um, you're only slightly apathetic about yeah. it. Anyway. Please, don't just say hate-like, but also tell us why. 
Yeah. Do, do you like do you like Jon's more specific, elegantly nerdy uh, release note? Commentary? Of course I do. Do you like my soft, fluffy, here's all about AI type of conversation? Or do you love the blend of Jon and Dave? Um, okay. Yeah, we'll leave it at that, I think. Okay, next on Can You Blend It, Dave and Jon? <laughs> nah. Going to need a big blender. Uh, speak for yourself, man. <laughs> I'm in denial. Anyway. It's not just the river in Egypt, you know. I think we need to put a plug in this uh, section for now because things are getting really off uh, script now. Not that we have a script. Anyway, uh, we're going to go into music now. And when we come back, we'll be uh, going into our major topic for this episode, which is uh, a, resp- a reply to a question we had, a listener question we had. And it's about big data for small businesses. Back after the music. See you then. And welcome back. So we have a section which we actually based on a question from the audience. Uh, so Renee asked us several months ago, and we apologize for it taking us so long to get around to this, but uh, we've had a, a busy, packed agenda, as I hope you will uh, understand. However, today is the day, and uh, the question was, uh, how can big data help small businesses? Um, what ways can small businesses use big data? At the moment, all of the talk is about big data helping enterprise firms. Um, very good question. And uh, obviously, there are a lot more uh, small businesses out there than there are huge enterprises. So can big data be useful for small business? That's the question, and that's what we're hopefully going to answer. Um, so first of all, Jan. How do we how do we see small business? How would you define small business? Yeah, it's actually a good question. I was kind of hoping that Renee would have given us that answer already in this <laughs> question, because uh, it's, for us it's now kind of defining what he meant with small businesses. But I mean, are we really talking about the mom and pop shops, just the family businesses? Are we looking a little bit bigger than that? I don't really know. When does a small business become a big business? When it goes onto the stock market? Is that a differentiation? I don't think so either. So for me, it would fall into the category of a business that doesn't have all the typical big business departments in there. Like a typical business has a accounting department and an HR department and a IT department and a data wrangling department and whatever. Small businesses are small, so they don't have this complete structure inside them. They have people doing stuff that needs to be doing quickly, but still efficiently and good, so have a good result out of it. So for me, that would be what I find a small business, not having a full department to do every single little identifiable chunk of work. Yeah, so you've got a, a bunch of people all wearing many hats, as the saying mm-hmm. goes, kind of, you know, doing whatever needs to be done to move things forwards, rather than a whole bunch of people dedicated to each individual task that, yeah. that needs to be done to get things running. And I think, I mean, there, there probably is a size number in there somewhere, you know, in terms of number of people. I honestly don't mm-hmm. know where I would put that number, but yeah, it, it's going to be, you know, 
in the maybe like tens of people, maybe a couple of hundred people. I think that's very dependent on what area of business you're in. Some yeah. businesses can function as a big enterprise with 50 people. Well, for right. another manufacturing, for example, if you have 50 people, you're not manufacturing anything. You need at least 500. Yeah. And still be yeah. considered a small business. Fair enough. All right. So now that we've designed, defined small business, um, how do we think that uh, big data can can help small business? Um, I mean, the first thing that immediately springs to mind to me is um, when you're a small business, you have limited resources, more mm-hmm. so than you know if you're a large business um, by its very definition. And so, anything that you can do to maximize your return on investment, um, your you know any maximize the impact of anything and everything you do um, is going to be beneficial to you. And when we talk about data-driven organization, data-driven businesses, to me, that doesn't need to be a huge enterprise organization. You can make decisions based on data regardless of how large or small you are, you know, as long as you have some data that you can use to um, you know, to enforce or to reinforce your or to make your decisions in the first place. That makes sense? Yeah, it does. And I think that today with big data being big data between uh, the brackets, the, 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 the real name thing, it actually helps the small businesses because when you're talking about automating, automatization is usually good if you're going big scale. If you're making smartphones and you make five a year, it makes no sense to have an assembly line. You just build them by hand. Yeah. Automating that stuff would only make sense if you're selling millions of those things. Yeah. Now, these days, with the, with the big data, and not just the data itself, but the technologies around it, it allows people to use automatization without having to cater to the largest common denominator, but having the big data insights to still automate and go to the person. That's the whole thing with the, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, directed advertising. You don't get uh, everybody, what you get into the letterbox is something the whole neighborhood gets, which you don't really care about. If you go to websites, you get based on your previous uh, surfing history, and we all know privacy issues there. Let's not go in there to, for this uh, discussion. But it does allow small businesses to direct their efforts where they're most valuable and not piss off everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, 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 for me, it, it's it's. I mean, when we started talking about this, we came up with you know working working smarter, smarter, not harder. You know, mm-hmm. less of a a brute force approach, and just making sure that everything you do as a business is is more targeted. Whether that's you know targeting from a, a you know an advertisement point of view, targeting from a you know when you're defining your product, whatever it is that your business um, you know makes money from um, your product or service, you know working out exactly the right people profiles, um, types of organisations, you know individuals that you want to target with that. The more and more you can refine that, you know, based on data. Um, and you know, there's a. If you're not making decisions based on based on data, well, then what are you making decisions based on? Like gut feel, finger in the air. That you know, I mean, and there's there's still a lot of decision making that's done like that. You know, I just think this is the right thing to do. You know, I've been here before. I've been doing this for twenty years. Blah blah blah. Well, 
that's all very well. And, you know, maybe that person has a, a track record of success. But, um, you know, there were, the, there's always more that you can gain, in my opinion, from actually backing those decisions uh, or actually making those decisions based on real data, real facts that you can, uh, you can get using big data. Yeah, 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 definitely. And uh, another area that I think just thought of now while you were talking is uh, customer support. Small businesses usually don't have a lot, a lot of people manning the phones for customer questions. And these days, consumers want to be on the website, on the email, and have instantaneous responses on everything. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that uh, we've been working on, actually, is, that's why it sprang to mind, is the bot network, which allows you to have uh, a, a robot, a machine, answering questions and if you did that three years ago the only answer it could give you was i don't know that please go to this number or go to this website or whatever but with the things of machine learning and the natural language processing and things around that area you can actually see these bots becoming semi-intelligent and if you already have a frequently asked questions list on your website somewhere, just feeding that to a bot, and let's assume it's your frequently asked question list is more than the 10 questions of where are you, who are you, whatever. These bot networks can actually give pretty good results already. With, of course, the end step, if the bot can't solve it, it should pass it on to a human, definitely. But yeah. that, again, is a way where a small business can work smart and have their experts, because basically in a small business, Everybody's an expert. You don't have the space to have the non-experts in there, basically because you're small. Have the experts handle the really difficult things and everything that's just run-of-the-mill questions, which everybody gets asked 20 times a day, push that back to the machines. Let somebody who doesn't get paid and eats a lot of food every day do that for you. Don't put your talent where you, put your talent where you need it, not where it's not needed. Yeah. No, that's not that's not today. That's a little bit of future looking, perhaps. But uh, it's getting there very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know another area that possibly you know, goes on from that is um, you know smaller organisations and startups using um, using IoT data, using machine learning instead of you know brute force. They're mm-hmm. making again it, for me. It's about making the smartest decision you can about whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, not um, wasting resources, not wasting effort. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep, same thing with prototyping. You don't need to prototype everything in clay these days, just do it in a machine. And we had the revolution in manufacturing, I think eight or 10 years ago, where the clay models were finally replaced by these big CAD machines from Silicon Graphics and competitors costing millions of dollars but doing it faster and more uh, more 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 accurately than the clay model could do but still it was one model at a time that the person behind the screen was making if you look at today people aren't making those models anymore people make one kind of catchy this is something like you want to do and give it to a computer machine learning program to make a million iterations and come back with one that's dense the least i don't know so again being smart about what you do and having a, pro- a quality product at the end. Yeah, that's right. So anything else you can think of, Jan, in this kind of area? Well, looking at what I've been doing the last couple of years, the points in my my work where I actually meet the smallest companies is actually partners. Mm-hmm. Now, on the one hand, you have the very big partners, the SIs, the service integrators and whatever. I'm not talking about those. If you're looking at people that are offering data scientists, 
those are typically what we call boutique uh, shops, yep. very small players that have maybe a dozen smart people in there and placing them at small businesses again, sometimes at big business, but usually at smaller businesses again, because those businesses that haven't got the maybe the money to attract that kind of talent or don't have the need for that kind of talent on the long run, just need it for a small project in small in time, I mean. And having that kind of intelligence in one place as a small business can actually make you very, very profitable, I think. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so, you know, that's helped us kind of define what small business is and and some of the ideas and some of the reasons why we think big data can help small businesses. Um, So in terms of some of the ways that small businesses can use big data, and, I mean, let's start off with, like some of the problems, um, if you're a small a small business, um, you know a small going concern. Um, typically, you're going to have less resources, smaller budget. Um, you're probably not going to be running your own data center. Um, well, I you, do. Well, yeah, <laughs> you and I do, but let's face it, we're a bit weird. Um, and uh, you probably don't have, um, you know, a load of people or skills in like the big data ecosystem. So, I think, you know, if you look at all of those different issues, they're fairly significant. Like, mm-hmm. if you if you don't have the budget to to go and uh, you know invest heavily in this space, if you don't have the the spare spinning tin that you can go and you know spin spin up a a project like this. And if you don't even know where to start with that, that's that's got to be pretty pretty daunting. That's got to be a pretty sort of uh, sizable um, initial barrier to entry potentially. Yeah, definitely. I think the first two are solvable. I mean, if you don't have the budget, you could lend from a bank, but is a bank going to give you the money for that? That's another question about it. Not having a data center, well, you can co-locate, I guess. So that's still reasonably solvable, but still it ties into this, in the budget thing because it's a, a big upfront cost there. But I think the main problem is going to be getting the people and skills in there. Because if you look at how hard it is even for the biggest of businesses to get talent yeah. in this field, there's such a shortage of this, which is a good thing for us. <laughs> But there's such a shortage that even with the, all the money in the world, the small business is going to always have a big uh, problem attracting talent in this field. I mean, if if you look at it from that perspective, actually the same things apply to big, big business as they do to small business, which is, yes, you, you technically you could go and hire a, a top-shelf um, data science team. Yeah, you you probably could, but it would be hideously expensive, and uh, typically I I wouldn't recommend it. The majority of organisations are upskilling and uh, growing a lot of their local talent, and as a small business, you know I would see that being exactly the same thing. You you find someone that's interested in this space to find someone that that has. That kind of curiosity, that spark—no pun intended—to um, to, to go and uh, to go and investigate these kind of areas, and just it really just has an interest in that side of things. And you know, we've talked we've talked earlier, we talked regularly about there are various different um, you know courses available that do start at a relatively simple level, 
um, some of them. So you can, you know, it's going to be a slow burn, whichever way you do it, but it, it's something that you can gain practical, useful experience. And you don't have to start off with, you know, a whole team of rocket scientists or data scientists, as the case may be. I agree that you can build your, your talent internally, but it doesn't solve the problem because of attrition. Because if you have that person that has the spark and is interested and wants to do sexy stuff on big data stuff, how are you going to keep them? Because if you have the chance to go work for, a, I know, a Netflix or a, a Twitter or a Spotify or Uber or whatever, or I know of Microsoft, I mean, look at myself, you're not going to be satisfied staying in that small little enterprise, maybe small business doing the same thing every day because at a certain point a small business has a much smaller reach in range of product or market share or whatever and by definition their big data problems which need to be solved will be smaller and less interesting and at a certain point maybe just get solved and just need to be retrained models updates fine-tune a little bit so how are we going to keep that person when he did all those courses and become a true data scientist whatever your definition of that may be how will you keep him there without giving him a lot of money i don't think i mean looking at myself and i think also looking at yourself are we doing what we're doing because of the money or because we think we are the space that is interesting for us so I think uh, there is definitely a focus on what's interesting because you, you spend a significant chunk of your life working. And if you're not interested and excited by what you do, um, yeah, God help you. Um, <laughs> so I think retention is always going to be a problem regardless. It's a problem in the enterprise, the, you know, the big enterprise space. It's a problem all across the board when it comes to big data skills. I suppose uh, – you know that that's. I'm not really sure that's something that we can solve or cover. But I think that things to think about is small businesses typically exist um, in a variety of different locations. Where you know going to work for Google, Microsoft, whoever, Spotify, just you know may not may not be an easy option. And you know also. You could look at, um, you know, internships and things like that where if, if you're right and if actually once you've built some of that basic machine learning or done some basic work in that space, if it's just models that need retraining, well, you can, you know, to a certain extent, that side of things, um, you know, you can teach someone how to do at least running through the basics. So I think, you know, retention is always going to be tricky um, as as you say, especially in the uh, the small business uh, space, but I don't see it being any different to um, you know retention in small small business generally. There's always going to be things where people want to go and do bigger, better, brighter things, and uh, so yeah, love and care for your people, and uh, and you know do things that encourage their loyalty and. Uh, and very best of luck to you. <laughs> yeah. And don't equate that with more money because these days, especially in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a range where the talent is limited, money is necessary. Of course, we all need to eat, but it becomes less and less the, the reason to go to work for XYZ. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so one of the other problems that uh, you might perceive as a small business is well, you know, we're a small business, uh, uh, you know, our entire 
customer database fits on a USB key. We don't actually have any data. Well, because just because you personally don't have any data, that doesn't mean that there isn't data that you can't find use out of. Uh, we talked earlier about you know making smarter decisions, whether that is uh, you know targeting your customer base or working out exactly how you how you target your advertising or working out you know how you refine your product or service. There's plenty of different um, data sources out there. Um, you know if you're uh, looking at something that involves. You know, the population in some way, shape, or form, or um, you know, the road network, or things like that. Uh, you'll find um, your country, I'm sure, has some form of uh, government sets of data sources that are provided. So, in the UK, there is uh, data.gov.uk uh, link in the show notes, and uh, you can find information there around uh, business and the economy, crime and justice, uh, defense, education, health, government spending, the environment, mapping, society, towns and cities, and transport. Um, so there's, there's a huge variety of data there uh, that, you know, I'm sure, depending on what it is that you're looking to try and achieve, there's bound to be something relevant in, in that kind of space. Um, where else? Uh, where else should people uh, think of for their uh, for their data sources, Jan? Well, one thing I'm just thinking about again—that's a very fruitful conversation today—is that small businesses, by definition, will outsource some of their uh, work and mm-hmm. often outsource their marketing uh, campaigns. Mm-hmm. They'll use a Facebook, a Twitter, uh, I don't know what else they use, social media. They'll have companies do that for them because, again, they don't have the marketing department. When you look at people, at organizations that do that for you, they kind of have two price brackets. And a cheap price bracket, they do it for you and it's done. The more expensive price bracket will do it for you and give you back a ton of data about what they did, what worked, what they approached, what didn't they approach, just the raw data. Mm-hmm. Like they're more expensive. Why? Because they don't like to give you that data. Because yep. that data is their money. Now, for a small business, it's a choice what kind of campaign you want to uh, want to run. Here, it's your own. You have to figure it out yourself. If you have the money to go to the higher tier, but if you do, that can be a very big source of information as well, and might actually make you reevaluate how you do your marketing. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I mean, if you're if you're looking at um, your data sources, are really going to depend on what your product or service is and what your interest in in big data is. Um, we've also got uh, another link here that we uh, we dug up, which was uh, 104 of the very best uh, free data sources. In this case, it's uh, it's for your next infographic. Uh, but uh, all of these uh, data sources you could very, very easily plug into whatever big data-related technology that uh, you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And again, they cover you know a huge variety of different uh, different um, source types, so health data, human rights data, labor and employment data, social data, travel and transportation, so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah. Other there's uh, 104 data sources there. Go and go and find something interesting. 
Um, and you actually mentioned something else as you were uh, going Rambling. through that that, that triggered, triggered something in my mind, which is absolutely everybody in the entire planet, it seems, wants to do some form of sentiment analysis. And sentiment analysis can mean a variety of things to different people, but for the majority of people, at least initially, it means Twitter. And Twitter is, is freely available um, for you to get access to um, it through the API. You can start uh, doing some basic profiling of, uh, of a variety of different interesting things. You can t- look at the, uh, the language of, of what people are saying. You can do various different bits of analysis on the tweets themselves. Um, you can get, uh, sometimes you can get location information. Uh, and so there's, there's huge amounts of, of information you can get from what is a, let's face it, one of the most basic data sources out there. Yeah. And it's actually very easy to do. It's a very low effort these days because, well, getting the Twitter feeds in is relatively easy. Just hook up your Twitter account and get a development thing and you get the tweets in. The actual analysis of that, you don't have to do yourself either anymore because there's a, a couple of places on the internet. I know Microsoft has one because I work there, but there's more of them out there which you can use for free up to a certain level. I think 100,000 phrases per month or something. You can just give it the text and it comes back with a score about this is a good or a happy or a a sad thought with a scoring behind and everything. So without actually having to invest in a full machine learning pipeline for yourself, you can just go out there for to commercial entities to do that analysis for you, just give them a phrase, and it can be Twitter, but it can also just be email or your Facebook messages or whatever you have. Just take the raw text, send it to such an API, and it comes back in a split second because these things are really fast. And you can just automatically automate, automate it that way without really investing all that much. And again, because of this, this is all new kind of technology and all these commercial businesses understand that they don't going to sign up a customer for a million dollars on day one. People want to try this thing out. So they all have these free trials of a lower uh, throughput perhaps, but still it's easy to, to set up. So there's no, bound, no, no barrier there. It's very low cost because basically it's free to just test, test out. And having a couple of hundred thousand phrases a month, that's already a significant chunk, I think. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Take a look out there. Yep. Out there. So, so data, you know, shouldn't really be, uh, you know, a limiting factor. There's plenty of data sources out there. And there's um, plenty of data that people are throwing away every day. Because if you have a, a product out there, you're probably using, I don't know, a kind of embedded motherboard in there or something that has sensors on it, which you're not using because you have no way of capturing that data. Well, newsflash, you can capture that data. It's available today. IoT is here today, and it's not that hard to get into. And again, gives you a lot of data if you want to. If you have a mobile app out there somewhere, it's very easy to put a a pipeline up that captures how fast somebody clicks a link you propose them, give them push messages, stuff like that. It's all... This stuff is not new anymore. It is not entirely commoditized, but it's getting there at a very rapid pace. And having these kind of things in there... That doesn't really take that much effort anymore. But you do, of course, hit the skills, talent uh, question here. How do you know what's out there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the example that I always think of when trying to explain the, the basics of, of big data um, and how it, how it works and how it can have a, a material impact to organization is uh, 
travel company I worked with a couple, good few years ago uh, now, and they were doing, uh, you know, they were just getting started, and they were doing uh, a basic joining of um, their own kind of uh, CRM system data that contained information about um, what people had actually purchased, along with um, web clickstream data. So they had information around. Uh, you know how people were clicking through their website, and actually, they had no way to previously make any connection between these two things. Load both of these data sources in, into Hadoop. Clickstream data, you know, weblog data is traditionally had been traditionally considered as junk data, but once you join these things, you can actually create some interesting parallels or find some interesting patterns. One of those things is obviously you can track people's. Uh, progress through your website. You know how how disjointed or how smooth is their journey? Do they spend lots and lots of time searching and give up, or do they are they able to very quickly find what they need? But this particular example is the travel company uh, got information about their users um, and joined that. Uh, so they got that from the weblogs and they joined that with information from their CRM system, and they found that people who browse their website using Apple devices typically spent um, somewhere between uh, you know, 10 and, I think it was 10 and 20% more on hotels. They also typically uh, would, tar- would favor um, you know, boutique hotels, hotels that were maybe more stylish or a little bit different to your standard run-of-the-mill hotel. So what did they do? They switched around some of their advertising. Uh, they didn't change the prices because the price is the same for everybody, but they promoted those types of hotels and those types of locations that they thought would actually uh, you know, resonate with those, uh, those particular, that particular user audience. And lo and behold, they got a significantly improved uh, you know, return and, uh, and a very, very high hit rate on those uh, those particular um, adverts, and uh, it, it's just you know return on investment from that tiny project was almost immediate, and you know those kind of things. It's relatively simple. You have a website; it's probably generating clickstream data as people are navigating around it. You maybe if you have an online presence where people can buy stuff, um, and you have a variety of different products, you know just see what patterns there are between those two sets of data. Yeah, yeah, and apart from having a, a more income, they also deliver a better service to their end customers, which are the hotels. Basically, they're the ones paying for the advertisement. Yeah, because they didn't have to go to those big multinational chains anymore. They could go to the smaller, maybe not bed and breakfast, but even there, and tell those bed and breakfast, if you invest in our advertising, we can show you. We will have directed people, specific people, your target audience towards you. It's not just a blanket. Uh, Marketing spread. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so should we head on to solutions? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've given a couple of solutions uh, while we're talking here, I think. But uh, what other things, more perhaps uh, practical tips can we give people? So I, I think the number one here has has really got to be, and the, the number one takeaway has got to be, go public cloud. Um the ability, you know, you you can stand up some of this stuff, and if you really do have 
small big data, then sure, you know, buy a powerful machine, you know, a, a powerful machine and, and just do it on a single machine. You can get a lot of the tools in, in a single environment. But you get to a point where hopefully you're going to be doing, uh, wanting to do things faster. You're going to want to do things in parallel and you're going to want to get some rapid responses from that. And really you need some element of scale out to do that. And if you don't have uh, your own data center under your desk, like Jan and myself, um, <laughs> then public cloud is the ideal place to go. Yeah, and on top of the scaling, I would also think about high availability. Because if you have the Miracle solution app, whatever up there that everybody uses and everybody likes and you're successful, attention span today is very short. So if your website doesn't respond within a couple of seconds, if your website is down for a day, you've lost those customers. They found another place to do maybe something slightly different, but you've lost them pretty much. Going to cloud, and I'm going to admit I work for the Azure team in Microsoft, so cloud is my business today, so I'm totally biased. But still, it's a valid point, I think, that going to cloud makes it a lot easier to have high availability, especially if you go to the SaaS layer of cloud. If you stay at the EOS layer, if you do have infrastructure as a service where you just have VM spinning, you have to do it all yourself, you have to have two VMs spinning and make sure they talk to each other. But if you go to the higher levels of the real cloud, the service, uh, software as a service, where you just use a web site. You have, don't have a web host, you don't have a web machine, you have a website which is in the cloud somewhere and you don't know and honestly don't care where it runs. But you have a guaranteed uptime of 9999, whatever nines they have these days, and it just runs for you. And you don't have the accumulation of maintenance happening because we all know we make a small website and it's successful and you grow and you make something else and add something, add something. At a certain point, it becomes quite unmanageable. By putting it into a SaaS service, you kind of have to adapt to the way that service wants to work, which may be a bit of an annoyance because you can't do everything you want to do the way you want to do it. You have to kind of fit whatever you do into the framework provided perhaps. But it does help you keep everything a little bit cleaner, more streamlined, and in the end, more maintainable without uh, spending extra money or resources on it. Yeah, and I think the... Um, the the key for a lot of these services are the separated kind of compute and storage. Mm-hmm. Your ability to have your data somewhere, wherever it is, and you know when you need to do some processing, when you need to do some of that investigation, some of that data science uh, tomfoolery. Um, you spin up your cluster, point it at the data, you do that work, and then once you've done that you shut the environment down and you can only do that if you have separated data and compute. Um, the, you, you, you typically your storage costs, and this is, this is typical across all the cloud providers, you know, idle storage costs are relatively low costs to actually run sizable instances to do processing are significantly higher. So being able to actually separate that out, shut your compute environment down and keep your data there for the next time you want to do some investigation it should be incredibly value, I would think, valuable, I would think, to the uh, the small business. Yeah, there's nothing more expensive than a clock cycle you're paying for which isn't used. That's yep. infinite cost. And actually, the 
way of the data being different, the storage being separate from the compute helps you build your data lake because splitting those two doesn't break a data lake. More to the contrary, it actually allows you to use even more tools on that data because the data is, even if your Hadoop cluster is down at the moment, data is still available. It's in some cheap storage, block storage somewhere, blob storage somewhere, and it's just available for all the things you want to do, which maybe don't use Hadoop, but use Wi-Fi or whatever. So it gives you more flexibility even. Indeed. So I think... Some of the other things that uh, we talked about, and in fact, you mentioned uh, Mesos earlier mm. as, uh, as something to look into a bit further. And when you're thinking about uh, a Hadoop cluster, often there's a comment about bringing all the animals in the zoo w- along with you. Including the uh, zookeeper. Including the zookeeper. Um, and potentially, the if you're especially if you're looking at you know, a, a restrictive set of use cases, maybe you're separating your compute storage, you don't necessarily need all of these things uh, together with you. So you can just do machine learning or IoT without having to carry all of the uh, uh, baggage, I guess, with you that yeah. a Hadoop cluster brings. Now, Hadoop is fantastic. Uh, everybody should be using Hadoop everybody everywhere all the time every day but if you're not um then that's fine too it's it's about making sure that you're using the right technology for the particular you know we use the term use case on a fairly regular basis but the the particular need or desire you have you know running spark standalone on some data is is perfectly valid that's a perfectly valid way to use spark um, if your data fits on a single machine and you can spin up Spark querying that data, fine, go at it. You know, there's no need to go and spin up a Hadoop cluster just to do some basic Spark. Uh, do keep in mind that this is fairly recent that this is possible. I mean, up, uh, about a year ago, and well, maybe two, uh, two years ago, Hadoop was still new and fresh and it was a lot harder to do what you're proposing now. But... Uh, even, yeah, I think it was about a year ago, I went to a customer who actually didn't want a Hadoop cluster because he specifically didn't want HCFS. He had read somewhere and he didn't like it. Uh, the concept didn't appeal to him. So he did want HCFS. And yeah, as a Hadoop cluster, you have HCFS in there, whatever storage hard as we need. It's, um, it was no other way of doing it. But now with things like Mesos uh, or just a Databricks cloud, for example, I have no idea what they do beneath uh, the covers. You can just have the thing you need without the craft around it. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to end up with a full-blown Hadoop cluster. Maybe you're going to start using more and more and more, and it does suddenly make sense to have more tools on there. But just having the flexibility of starting with a small part of it, getting your value and growing, it gives you, as a small business, definitely the, the, the foot in the door to start using this big data without having the big investment up front. Yeah, I mean, and that to me, that's the key point. Start with what you need, and as as your needs grow, mm-hmm. then the technology will grow with you. You know, yeah, you might, you absolutely might get to the point where a full blown Hadoop cluster is really useful to you because you, you you have reached the point where you're inviting all of the animals to the zoo to the tea party, and and maybe add some if new so, ones of your own. 
Absolutely, yeah. Bit of bit of animal breeding going on. Um, <laughs> husbandry, Scott. I think. <laughs> I believe so. Animal husbandry. Um, any any animal husbandry experts listening to the podcast, uh, please let us know. Um, so yeah, I mean the, that's the whole thing, and that's one of the things that I love about this ecosystem is that it, it is uh, it, it really is about how your use case and how your how you can deliver value and how that grows with you and the tools and the technology to a certain extent are are somewhat interchangeable you know you could you could get just as much value using spark as you could from using storm or hive or something like that but it's it's about understanding what your use case is what you're trying to achieve and uh, you know pick a technology you're comfortable with using and as more of your use cases grow, more of your, uh, you know, more technologies may be, may well become relevant. Yeah, and it's never been easier to start than today because the ecosystem is exploding even faster than it was before. And Hadoop today isn't what Hadoop yesterday was. And it's not what Hadoop's ne- next year is going to be. And even the, the big players in the Hadoop world uh, acknowledge this because at last Hadoop Summit, Hortonworks actually announced that we're going to rebrand their uh, their, their big event from Hadoop Summit to the DataWorks Summit. And that for me also is a sign that even the guys that are deep and deep and deep into this technology see this change happening where the old, well, maybe call it inflexible static cluster becomes a more lively animal with a lot more feet and head and arms and legs than you ever thought possible. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about lots of very, very positive things. And uh, I think a lot of this conversation has been very positive. You know, big data is absolutely something that small businesses can use. Um, There are some things to be aware of. Um, You will almost certainly at some point have to make a compromise that maybe you wouldn't have to do if you were doing, you know, everything yourself. Um, when we're talking about, you know, software as a service platforms, SaaS platforms that you're consuming, um, then there are some things that are included within that SaaS platform. There are other things that are not included within that SaaS platform. And the the benefit that you get from the, the automation, the ease of use, and all these kind of other cool things um, – it's just a compromise. It's just a balance that you need to find as you gain more experience, as you want to add more tools to your toolbox, then, you know, maybe moving away from that SaaS platform and moving to something more um, specific to what you're trying to achieve might make more sense. Uh, But it's, it's about, you know, setting that balance, I think. Mm. Yeah. I also think that uh, small businesses have a leg up on the big businesses here because small businesses by definition are, well, my definition are more flexible and more dynamic and actually cope with these kind of maybe imposed restrictions a lot more easily than a big, well, inflexible uh, enterprise could be. So don't see it as a hindrance. See it as a guiding hand because there's probably a reason why that framework solution yeah. we're using is doing it this way. And um, I've had to admit to myself that I'm not the smartest person in the world and that everything I think of is the first time everybody ever thought of it. Usually a lot of other people have thought of the same thing and come to conclusions and what they have learned and they're willing to give me the knowledge, yeah, make use of that. Don't see it as a hindrance, see it as a, a guiding, as a guiding step, as a guiding hand. 
Yeah, makes perfect sense to me. All right, should we wind this up and head off for the conclusion? Yeah, you go for the conclusion. You're good at that. All right, then. So, in conclusion, uh, first of all, I think we've been pretty clear. Big data can and should absolutely be used uh, within small businesses. Um, We both think public cloud is very good for small business. Just that frictionless ease of entry into the big data world, whether you're using Azure, Google Compute, um, AWS, Rackspace, there's any number of also boutique cloud providers out there that also have offer various big data services. Um, you know, find one that works for you, find one that wants to work with you that, you know, suits your price point. Um, and yeah, just, just start having a play. Um, preferably try and try and get or find a, a trusted partner that can kind of steer you through this. We mentioned earlier about some of the boutique SIs, but actually you don't just have to restrict yourself to page type engagements. Look for, you know, big data meetups that are going on uh, in in your area, in your region. And, you know, if you're somewhere remote, yes, you might have to travel a little bit. But the kind of knowledge that you gain there and the kind of thing that you can uh, uh, that you can understand from what a wider audience is doing is going to be really valuable to you, especially as you're starting to, uh, you know, gain some understanding of this kind of area. Yeah, I was just thinking when you talk about meetups that maybe uh, to keep those t- that talent interested in what they're doing, even if a small business, why do small businesses not share that data scientist? Have one person do the data stuff for three or four companies, that way mixing up his workflow, keeping his life interesting. Yeah, shared data science, the brave yeah. new world. <laughs> um, and, you know, first of all, uh, sorry, last of all, I really, is... Um, Think about the variety of different companies that have sprung out of practically nowhere and have really revolutionized their individual spaces. Um, And the majority of them have made significant use of big data to get to the position that they're in. So I'm talking about things like Uber uh, and, you know, Halo to to possibly a lesser extent. Um, in the in the transportation market, I and mean, it's now I think the it's the largest by uh, in terms of miles driven, the largest transportation company uh, in existence. Um, Spotify, you know, the world before Spotify was a very very different place, and again, the things that they're doing uh, to make their platform stickier, to play, make their their platform uh, you know more specific and tailored to their users are all based around big data and the analysis of what people are doing uh, with their streaming platform. Deliveroo, now the largest restaurant chain, if you can call it that, uh, in the world. Uh, and again, all based on all based on big data, all based on you know all data driven organizations, and all relatively speaking, um, certainly compared to the giants in their industries, you know, very, very small organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think if you if you're interested in big data, if you're interested in making decisions based on something other than just gut instinct or, or, or which way the wind is blowing, big data is the, is the engine that can power you forward and maybe power you into new, interesting and exciting areas. And it'll allow you to sleep at night, not worrying about maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. 
That's right, because you'll have the facts, the exactly. facts to back you up. <laughs> All right. Well, a very so, nice roundup. Thank you very much. And thank you to our audience and listening, us, listening to us rambling our way through this topic. Um, if you enjoyed this, then please ask us more questions. Uh, we love questions from the audience. Uh, we will continue to uh, answer them when they crop up. Uh, but that's all for this particular section, and that's all we have time for today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this uh, serving of bite-sized big data. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. But until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information about the podcast, send us your questions, and, uh, you know, please, if you're using iTunes, I'm sorry, but if you are (laughs) using iTunes, take a look and see if you can give us a five-star review. Uh, It really does help us to expand our audience and uh, help other people to discover the podcast. If you don't think we deserve the full five stars, that's okay. Um, But then in that case, please give us some feedback. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, and uh, everything else in between. Uh, Either do it on our website, where there's a feedback form, or go to uh, drop us an email at podcast at roaringelephant.org. Any thoughts, comments, criticisms, other feedback, and uh, maybe even suggest a name for our second section, our new news section. Um, maybe the, the Elephant's Memoirs. What do you think about that, Jon? Uh, sounds a lot better than your previous suggestion, which we're not <laughs> going to put on the air. <laughs> Fair enough. And on that bombshell, my name is Dave. And my name is Jon. And we'll look forward to speaking to you in two weeks' time. See you then. Bye. Bye.